You're on Motorsport 360's Living Book with Andrew Clark. He spent more than two decades at the top of Australian motorsport. He won Bathurst three times. He won a supercar championship series. And his name is Garth Tander. And he sat down with us at Motorsport 360's Living Book. So Garth Tander, welcome to Motorsports Living Book. Uh, we're going to talk way, our way through your life as a racing car driver, um, probably as a, as a person and uh, maybe even as a father as well and uh, how that's impacted you in, in many ways. Um, for you, it all started back in Perth, which is a long way from the East Coast, a strange way to build a motor racing career. Uh, started in carts, how did that come about? Yeah, well, like you said, I'm born and bred in Perth and, and all my family are from there and um, and uh, yeah, look, my involvement in motorsport came through my father. He was, um, I think, probably when he was in his late twenties, mid to late twenties, he was involved with Speedway actually to start with, and a, um, with a, a mate of his um, in a speed, well, a midget or a speed car, what they call them today. And um, he crewed on that, um, and then um, the brother of his mate that raced the midget built a Mazda RX-7 um, street car, or what they would probably call an improved production car now, that, that Dad was involved in the build of that and the maintenance of that. So um, by that stage, I was, I was on the scene and my brother was on the scene and we were very young, so I think I first started going to Wanneroo Raceway, as it was called then, Barbagallo Raceway now, uh, when I was about two or three years old. So that was my uh, exposure to motorsport. It's a little bit hard on the, on the West Coast. I mean, you really only got the one track, haven't you? So, uh... Yep. Um, obviously, in the East Coast, you've got a, a choice. Um, you would have become a bit of a, a Wanneroo Barbagallo master. Oh, yeah, but that was much later. I mean, I obviously, um, from when I was two to when I was eight, I was going to the racetrack with Dad and, and hanging out on the, hanging on the side of the fence, watching all the cars go by at, at Wanneroo Barbagallo Raceway. Um, but then, yeah, I mean, started racing go-karts, so there's actually a heap of kart tracks in WA... The problem with WA is it's massive. It's huge. <laughs> so it's nothing for... Um, it was nothing for mum or dad to drive to Caratha, from Perth to Caratha or Port Hedland, which 18, 20-hour drive, for us to race on Saturday and Sunday and then turn around and drive back to Perth and, and be back at Perth, you know, drive through the night Sunday, be back in Perth Monday night, try and get some sleep and go to work on Tuesday sort of thing. So, um, so yeah, that was... Um, Growing up, we had a lot of kart tracks, but then obviously going into, into cars, you, you've only, well, there's two tracks there now. Well, there's one down in Collie, but, um, but back then there was only the one. Now, the karts brought a bit of success. I mean, we were looking at seven state titles and a national title. I mean, when did you start to branch out from just Perth to, to the, rest of the, the rest of Australia? Yeah, that was um, early 90s. I was about 14. So we um, started racing karts. I was eight, eight and a half. Um, and I started racing on the dirt, actually, the dirt kart track, and uh, did that for uh, you know, three or four years on the dirt. And then, um, and then um, there wasn't as much competition on dirt as there was bitumen, so we moved to bitumen, started bitumen racing. Um, and by that time, I was probably about twelve. And then, um, yeah, sort of got used, got my head around bitumen racing, and then, and then we went. Um, 
we went to Queensland, actually to Ipswich, where the kart track is now. We drive past it going into Queensland Raceway. Uh, in 1991, that was the first time we went to the, to the East Coast to go racing. So uh, we chose the furthest way away to go from Perth to Brisbane to go and do our first um, Eastern States sojourn. But, um, yeah, I mean, from, I think, 91 to pretty much when I finished karting, we raced at least one or two races. The big, big races either the national championships or there was a big international race at Coffs Harbour that we went and did a couple of times as well. So, yeah, it was about 91 that we started racing on the East Coast and, and trying to chase the competition, really. I mean, we were fortunate that we were reasonably successful in WA and, and you become a big fish in a, small pot, in a small pond. So we wanted to go and make the pond a bit bigger and see where we stood. Do you have good recollections of that first national championship win? I mean, uh, it's got to be an impressive time for a young kid. Yeah, well, that was actually back on the dirt when I, I won... Um, the, the Australian Championships. I never won an Australian Championship on the on the bitumen, which frustrated the shit out of me. Um, my brother did. My younger brother did. He won one, um, but I didn't. So we won one on the dirt. So we went back. I'd already been racing bitumen for I don't know five or six years. So that was, well, probably four or five years at that stage. And then we went back and did a one a one off race on the dirt because it was the national championships and um, and we had success. So that was cool. I mean, it was really cool. Uh, it was in WA. Um, to do that um, so yeah it was good and the, and the seven state championships was good I was, I was the first person in, in WA to win three state championships in the same class and so I, I went, moved up into seniors and I won like the the, the the most competitive class three years in a row so that was pretty pretty satisfying Were you always a tall kid? I mean yeah. so you, you would have realised from early on this was going to pose a problem in open wheelers at some stage? Uh, yeah I mean I've, or did you just try to ignore when I was right, well, I can't do anything about it. Yeah. So that was the one thing. Like, you can't do anything about your height. Um, as I got to the later years in carts, probably the last four or five years in carts, my height was becoming a hindrance. I couldn't race. Like when we raced on the East Coast, you couldn't race on the sticky tyres um, because my height was too high. I was, my centre of gravity was too high, essentially. So it's funny, centre of gravity is a massive chat in, in, in supercars and in motorsport today, but I was actually learning about it as a 13 or 14-year-old kid because of my height in karting. So, um, yeah, so at that point I started to understand. And realistically, when I moved to Formula Ford, I was about... I couldn't really afford to be any taller. Um, so it was, uh, it was... I could get in, but just... How tall were you then, do you know? Oh, I was probably not far from where I am now. Yeah. I mean, I grew to when I was about 17 or 18. I was pretty tall. Um, so, yeah, I don't think I've grown up much more. Probably just grown out a little bit. <laughs> so what are you cranking at? 190-odd? I'm 190. I'm six foot three. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So I've, I think realistically, probably my last couple of years in high school, I was the same. I was, in bar, I was on the basketball team in high school, so um, I must have been tall. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we, we've transitioned to Formula Ford, and, uh, you know, it's... Um, bit of a slow progression in a sense. I mean, it's a, again, it's not easy from Perth, is it? And you, you, and you eventually worked into the national championship. And uh, tell us about the championship year. I mean, the, the field was staggering, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. I mean, when we moved to Formula Ford, we did, we were still racing carts in 95, and I did two or three races in WA in the State Series um, in the last part of 95 to see whether I was any good. Um, and that was okay. So we did the WA Championship in 96 and we did two or three of the Driver to Europe rounds at the end of 96 to see whether I could cut it at that. And we went half a ride. I crashed a couple of times, probably trying too hard in 96. And then, but we won the WA title and then um, the natural progression was to go and do the National Formula 4 Championship. And 97, the year I did it, was myself, Marcus Ambrose and Todd Kelly were the, the main guys going at it. But Damien White was involved, that was racing that year. 
a kid called Craig Zerner from um, Queensland who was the guru in karting. Go back to 91 when I was racing in, in Queensland at Ipswich at the National Championships. Craig Zerner was the kid that won everything that weekend. And so I knew who Craig was from six years ago when we were racing go-karts. He was very fast. Greg Ritter was racing that year. That was his first, first year in, I think, that year. And he was fast. So there was probably six or seven. And Christian Jones. Christian Jones was there. Adam Macro had just started. Um, there was a there was a lot of it was such a great series. Gun kids, I mean, yeah, and it was competitive. Like yeah. it was serious. I mean, there, and there was a lot of cars. I mean, there was forty cars most weekends. Yeah. Um, so you had to stay out of trouble a lot of the time in practice and qualifying because you just got caught up with other cars because of the f- sheer volume of cars on the racetrack. Yeah. Once we got racing, it wasn't so bad because you're obviously up the front and all the rest yeah. of it. So. Um, yeah, yeah, it was tough. We did it from based out of WA, so um, we didn't have a huge budget. Um, we didn't actually have any budget by the end of the year, and we actually had to work pretty hard, and we actually got Bunnings on board as a sponsor. So uh, to this point, we're the only motorsport car that's ever had Bunnings as a sponsor. It wasn't big, but it helped us get to the end of the year. So, um, And that was done through a customer of the race team, the Formula Ford team in Perth. They, they were Bunnings. Don't forget... Back in 97, Bunnings wasn't Bunnings what it is today. That was the beginning of the Bunnings Warehouse thing. So they actually wanted to sponsor the car on a national scene to, to showcase what this Bunnings Warehouse was going to be and look what it's turned into. So basically, I think that the success of Bunnings is on the back of my Formula Ford sponsorship know, in 97. you kept them forever, though. It would have been nice, wouldn't it? You could have been on the gravy train. <laughs> it would have been nice. <laughs> so, the, I mean, it looked like a, it's a ding-dong battle all year with, yeah. uh, with Ambrose in particular. Was, yeah. I mean, just a shave ahead of Todd, I think. But, uh, yeah. You know, it's uh, 10 points yeah. at the end of it. I mean... Um, how did it feel when you were getting towards the end of that and the, does the pressure start to build? I mean, are you a young guy learning how to cope with that? Yeah, pressure? you are, very much. And that's what all those development championships teach you, is how to deal with that, those pressures as you get to the <coughs> climax of the championship. So I, I think we led pretty much most of the championship, but we had a really bad round at Lakeside, which I think was round six of eight, I think it was. So we did Lakeside and then I think we went to Malala and then to Oran Park. No, we did Lakeside, Perth... Ballarinora Park and um, we had a really bad round at, at, um, at Lakeside uh, it just got caught up in some crashes and I was probably trying a bit too hard because the car wasn't fast enough I should have just banked the points and got out of there but, you know I was used to winning races so I wanted to continue to be winning races so it's just all that stuff that those championships um, that, that you develop I think from learn. memory looking at it Marcus um one but those yeah, it did. when you had a shocker yeah, it did. The, and so that, that, that then put a lot of pressure on the championship yeah. for the rest and then we went to Perth and I was leading, it was pouring with rain I was leading the race and the tyre went flat so I actually had to finish the race with a flat tyre and we still finished third in the race or something like that so and then we went to Malala and we won that was the second last round and I won both the races and that really solidified the championship because that meant that I could go to Oran Park at the final round I didn't have to win the races I could just play the points yeah. game so a lot of pressure comes off then because you don't, you don't have to... I mean, we still had a fast car. I think we still qualified up the front. And then I basically just drove around behind Marcus and didn't have to try and pass him. And all the pressure was him to try and, to try and win, and it wasn't on me. So, um, But, yeah, it was a tough year, and, and we went at it hard. I mean, we went really hard. I remember at Phillip Island, it was only round two or three. We were racing down the front straight at Phillip Island, and that's the fastest Formula Ford car, Formula Ford. And this is back in the Kent days, before the Duratec Formula Fords. They do 220, 230 kilometres an hour at the end of the front straight, so they're still fairly moving. And we basically played chicken. 
going down there. We were side by side, and neither of us backed out. We ended up crashing into each other at turn one at Phillip Island. And it was because... And you still walk. It's because neither of us wanted to... Neither of us were going to give in to the other. Yeah. And, and I still remember. We, we, they, you know, we DNF'd. And um, they put both our cars, craned them onto the same flat tray, and we had to sit in our cars with our foot on the brake <laughs> so they didn't roll. And then they take both the cars back to the scrutineering area, they unload them, and both our dads are standing together looking at both of us, and just both of them said, you pair of idiots, you absolute <laughs> pair of idiots. So um, I still, it was a pretty good lesson, that one. Lesson <laughs> in which way, though? Good one. Yeah, yeah, maybe learn to survive, the other, survive another day. But I think for both of us, it was important to show each other that we weren't backing down yeah. in this fight. It's pretty important to make that statement, though, isn't it, early yeah. on in your, in your life with someone? Well, I, mean, I think if they think you're easy, they're just going to keep on... Well, it was early that. in the championship. That was round three of the championship. And I'd, I'd won... That was, yeah, I, I mean, I was fortunate. We won the first seven of eight races, and that eighth race was the race we crashed. So I think Marcus was trying to say, hey, I'm here to fight you. And, and I was saying, well, you can be here to fight me, but I'm going to fight back just as hard. So, But it's the whole concept of centre, isn't it? Like, when the Formula 1 driver saw centre coming in their mirrors, they panicked and got out of his way. Yeah, it? I don't think... Yeah, we were only 18 or 19 at that stage, so we probably weren't thinking Didn't that. Didn't think that, 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 <laughs> that um, You know, we weren't thinking like that far ahead. Yeah. So you said after that championship, I mean, you, from memory, you can't even run the next year in the Formula yeah. 4 anyway, so it's off to try and do the, the Formula Holden or yeah. uh, whatever they were calling at that particular time. But uh, Yeah. Didn't get the deal and um, no, I couldn't raise the budget. It was as simple as that. So we we won the championship in '97, and, and Mum and Dad spent way more than they should have. And, and for that, you as a now as an adult and as a parent, you, you you appreciate it so much more because they you know they went without for years after because of the money they poured into that one year. Because it was really in '97 we only had that one opportunity because we were going so well in the championship. We weren't even meant to do the full championship that year. But because we started so well and we had the points lead, it was like crazy not to continue. So mum and dad found a way of financing it until the end of the year. But, you know, we had, there was no money left to do it again in 98. It was as simple as that. And, and, you know, you don't want your parents going bankrupt on the back of you chasing a dream. And at that point, even though you've won the Formula 4 championship, it's still a dream. So I think the budget to go and do something in Formula Holden at that stage was about 250 grand. So in 1998, that was still a lot of money. We didn't have it. Bunnings were happy with the level of the spend that they were spending in Formula Ford, so they stayed in Formula Ford with the Formula Ford team, but weren't really interested in upping their commitment to going to Formula Holden. So I had a couple of tests with a couple of Formula Holden teams and a couple of discussions with them about doing some sort of deal that we could, you know, reduce the budget and get it down, but you couldn't get the budget down to anything that was achievable for us. And to stay competitive, I mean, you do yeah. anything for next to Yeah, you can, but you're wasting, you're wasting your time. Yeah. So, um, so I ended up not racing for for the first four months of 98 and that was really tough so I ended up I was whole through all the way through 96 and 97 I was working for Fast Lane Racing in the Formula Ford team which was the team that I raced for in Formula Ford I was working for them as a driving instructor at the school and working on the cars so I went back and I was working working on Formula Fords I was working for, for Brett at Fast Lane and we had Christian Murchison and Tim Lay and Leanne Ferrier in the team and, um, and I was working and prepping all the cars and by that stage we, had a, we built a transporter and then that was all based, that started to be based on the east coast at Essendon Airport and I was basically based in the sleeper cab of the truck in a hangar at Essendon Airport prepping <laughs> these three cars and that was my first three months of 1998. Cool, well we'll come back and touch on Leanne a little bit later because she does become quite important. Yep. Um, we'll be back in a few minutes to talk about your, uh, your career as a, 
as a supercar driver and uh, an emergence as a superstar of the sport. We're back with Garth Tander on Motorsport's Living Book. Garth, the, uh, the, the overs- well, not even an overseas dream, is it? It's the open wheel dreams mm. faded mm. Um, on money and perhaps height as well. Then mm. you've, uh, you've picked up a nice drive with Gary Rogers Motorsport. Uh, how did we come about that and what did you think when you finally sat in one of those things and thought, look at all this space? Um, well, I mean, I'd, I'd given up on the on the, the open wheeler dream pretty early because by the stage I was 18 or 19, I'd realised I was too tall to get anywhere further than Formula Ford. And um, and a simple matter of fact was that we didn't have any money to go racing in Australia, let alone try to go to Europe and race. So, um, so for me, the realisation was to try and do something in Australia as a supercar driver and, and supercars had only just become supercars in 96 and, and, and the and it was starting to sort of ramp up. So just getting your foot in the door anywhere was was the plan for a guy that was, you know, the former Ford champion the year before and was slowly disappearing into mechanichood in as a race mechanic and starting to be forgotten as a driver. It was it was a worrying, nervous time because, you know, I, I enjoy working on the cars, but obviously my first passion was to try and be a driver. So it was very fortuitous because um, back then the British Touring Car Championship was, was very, very strong, was huge. There was massive manufacturer involvement and all the rest of it. And you wonder, well, what's that got to do with Garth Tander? But it was actually Stephen Richards, who was driving for Gary at the time and had driven for Gary for a long time, was given an opportunity to go to the UK by Nissan and become their reserve slash test driver at Nissan, and uh, Ray Malek's at Nissan. And... Um, and this was after the first three rounds of the 98 Supercars Championship that this opportunity arose for Steve. So he grabbed that and, and went, and that created a vacancy at GRM. So Gary knew who I was because he was sponsoring Marcus Ambrose through the Valvoline collect- connection in Formula Ford. Valvoline always sponsored a Formula Ford. In, uh, in, so Marcus had the Valvoline sponsorship. Marcus had already gone to Europe and he was racing in the British Formula Ford Championship. So I don't know whether that was ever on the cards or Gary would have gone that way, but he knew that Marcus was gone. So he knew about me because I beat Marcus. So um, he didn't actually ring me. Um, it was Mike XL, the engine builder from GRM, rang me and said, oh, we need a driver. Gary's talking to another couple of dri- people about driving. Um, you're one of the names, but... I think you'd be the best one, so you need to call, you need to call Gary. So I was like, okay. It's the first time I've ever done anything like this. I got Gary's number off Mike, and I, and I called him and said, hi, my name's Garth. Yes, I know who you are. It's very Gary, which you'll learn later. I said, oh, look, I hear there's an opportunity. I hear there's a, a vacancy in the team. I'd love if you could consider me. He goes, yep, yep, your name's on the list, I'll let you know. And I was like, oh, okay. And then, right, thanks very much, and hung up. It's like a 30-second phone call. And not knowing what Gary was like at the time, I was like, oh, well, I've got no chance, because it's such a curt, such a short phone call. So I was like, oh, I've got no chance. And he rang back an hour, hour or two later and said, um, we're testing next Tuesday, I'll have you on the plane on Monday, fly over, see if we'll go to Winton on Tuesday, and that's how it started. Um, do you talk numbers then, or do you just take whatever comes? Oh, shit, no. <laughs> no, no. At that stage, it was just a test. Yeah. So we went to Winton and, um, and did the test. Um, Bargs was there in the other car. Uh, 
and so he was obviously as a reference and they were testing as well. Um, so there was a reference lap time from Bargs for the day. I think by the end of the day I got I sort of got within a second of Bargs. It wasn't the, and that wasn't the first time I'd driven a supercar. I'd already done 20 laps at Perth in a privateer uh, X-Blend Seaton Falcon that a guy over there called Claude Georgie owned and Alan McCarthy drove. And I had done about 15 laps at Malalar in a DJR Falcon. Uh, the Monday after the 97 Malalar race, they were doing a Dunlop tyre test and through John Bow, he, he arranged for, for me to have a test um, in the DJR car. So I did about 15 laps and then it got rained out. So Malalar, you've done all the great tracks, haven't you? Yeah, well, I mean, at that stage, Malalar was a reasonably cool track. So... Um, Mate, and your first chance to drive, I mean, you're driving yeah. a Dick Johnson Falcon when you're an 18-year-old kid, you're like, mate, I'll drive it anywhere you want me to. So, um, so I'd, I'd done about, I don't know, probably 30, 40 laps in a, in a supercar before that Winton test. Yep. Did the test and, um, and it went pretty well. Uh, the last thing that happened, though, was the throttle jam in the last session going into the sweeper and I speed off and guys got there and said, oh, what'd you do, what'd you do? I said, oh, the throttle jammed, the throttle jammed. I said, oh, yeah, bullshit. And then they looked at the data, saw that the throttle jammed, and uh, and then that, they were like, oh, yeah, right, okay, no worries. <laughs> <laughs> I suppose you'd be a nervous kid at that stage, wouldn't you? Think, will they oh, believe you? Oh, well, you don't want, bullshit. well, that's right. I mean, and I think I've always been, you don't, you don't bullshit, you just tell it as it is. So, um, so anyway, yeah, we did that test, and the Phillip Island race of the championship, which was round four of the championship, was that weekend. So Gary, Tuesday night, Gary says, oh, we'll have a meeting in my office tomorrow. And I was just like, oh, yeah, that's just about, you know, whether we do more testing in the future yep. or all the rest of it. And had that meeting on the Wednesday, and he goes, right, I'm Philip Islands this weekend. Do you want to race? Yeah. So I, yeah, how do we make that happen? <laughs> so, yeah, don't worry about it. And, and we went, so I went racing. Within seven days, I'd gone from not doing anything to racing... At Phillip Island. So you would have worked out by this stage that Gary's quite a unique creature. Um, oh, no, not at that stage. No? Maybe during the weekend because yeah. he sort of said, oh, I'll meet us at the workshop and we'll, we'll drive down yeah, on the Thursday. So I, I got myself to the workshop in Glen Waverley and, um, and we went down in his, his massive caddy. It's this big soft top <laughs> um, convertible caddy that we, yeah. we went and that's what we were cruising around cows. <laughs> During the weekend in this massive caddy, I was like, "Well, oh, this is a little bit different." It's not what I expected. Yeah. And obviously, you, you've got a wage now. Somebody's actually no, not at that stage. No, 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 not at that stage. Well, so you're a freebie. I, I did it that weekend. I did that weekend, and then and then we had go, and then we had another meeting following that weekend. So that weekend went pretty well. I remember I qualified 16th. So, but this is back in the day of level one, level two, yeah. level three. And there was level pre qualifying one. Pre-qualifying as well. Yeah, pre-qualifying. I don't think we had to pre-qualify that weekend, but there was level one tyres. Yeah. Level, so even though you had a Dunlop contract, there was, there was cars that had good Dunlops and cars that had not as good, and same for Bridgestone, same for your car. Yep. We were on Bridgestone, um, and we qualified. There was 36 or 38 cars or something like that. I qualified 16th. So, and I was next to Dick Johnson. So he was 15th, I was 16th. Barks was about 10th. Um, so yeah, it went pretty well. I stalled at the start. Never done a supercar start before, so I got it up on the limiter and it sounded horrible. There was all this noise and I've never heard this sound before. So I was lifted back off the throttle and then I stalled. So uh, last to the first corner in my first ever supercar Excellent. race. Um, but by the end of the weekend, I got myself back up to just inside the top ten, uh, and then I got Steve Ellery um, hit me in the rear and turned me around at, at Honda, and I think I ended up finishing about fourteenth or something like that. So. Had a meeting with Gary 
following day and he goes, oh, well, we'll do it race by race. But while you're here in Melbourne, you can work in the spare parts department. Yep. So I'm like, yeah, well, it's okay. I need some money to live. Yeah. So I was on 400 bucks a week and I got the spare parts department diesel Nissan Irvan as a company car. And, uh, and that was me for 1998. You're living my life. Oh, mate, you do whatever it takes at that stage. I mean, it was, um, you know, I was... I wasn't earning. I was earning a bit of money working on the Formula Ford, enough to survive. But um, but I was earning probably the same amount of money to drive the supercar. But I was driving a supercar, so you know I could um, I could basically feed myself, and, and that was about it. So from here, like the trajectory's gone, hasn't it? I mean, the, the next year was pretty good, but the year after was uh, was something special for a young mm. kid. Anyway, I mean, I remember you coming in, and uh, you were a, you had a personality, so you, you weren't boring like everybody else. Mm. And, and talk a little bit later about how HRT vanillaised you, but yeah. you know, you've got this big personality, I mean we were using you in V8X as a columnist in the magazine, um, and you've, you've come in and almost knocked off Mark Skate for the championship, which yeah. is unbelievable at the time, and you've got a Bathurst win as well, I mean, that, yeah. that season must have just been amazing in 2000. Well it was when you look back at it, but at the time you just think, well I'd, I'd won the Australian, fo- I'd won the WA Formula 4 championship. In '96, I won the Australian Formula Four Championship in '97, so I was used to winning races. I had my learning year in '98, which was sort of very up and down. Made a lot of mistakes. '99 started to put it together and won some races in supercars. So you get to this point, and I was only 23 in in 2000, the year we won Bathurst to finish second. So you look at it very matter of factly. You're just like, well, I'm used to winning races, so I should be winning races. It's as simple as that. It's a natural progression. You just keep winning races. It's only when you look back and you look you, and you, you realise the resources that we were competing against, and both financial and, and equipment-wise, the experience we were competing against. You know, Mark obviously at that point had still had a huge amount of experience, and, and the team at HRT, the engineering experience around that team was huge. Mark had there was Craig as his teammate, so they had a very competitive environment. So it's only when you look back and you look at those elements that you realise that what. GRM and we achieved that year was was pretty impressive. But I mean, from the media point of view, when we're standing on the outside watching, I mean, that's what we're talking about. Mm. Um, but you really can't feel that at the time. No, I mean, no, no, you just you only focus on your job. And I mean, even back then, I was starting I was starting to understand the importance of how you interact with the media and how you um, you got to create your own persona in the in the media. Yep. There's no point. Um, and I probably made some mistakes with that later in my career, but at 23, and at that point, it's not like it is now. Like at this point now, so there was no back then. There was there was no TV prior to getting into supercar. You, once you got into supercar, all these cameras came along, shoved microphones under your face, so you didn't, you didn't know how to talk, didn't know how to present, didn't know how to do any of this sort of stuff. Whereas these days, all the kids growing, coming up through the junior category, even karting now. There's, there's TV and there's you know media training and there's all yeah. that sort of stuff. Whereas back then when I did it, you're learning on the run. So you, the only way you could be was be yourself. We were at that stage when you know in all due deference to Mark Scape and HRT, I mean the media's looking for somebody to knock those guys off. And, oh yeah, there's definitely. So you, you, that's you, the, that's you the Australian. Emerged. That's the Australian tall poppy way, which you learn later in life. Yeah. But um, yeah, I mean I I understand that it was a good story. Yeah. Um, and we really enjoyed that um, little battler versus the big Goliath, yeah. if you like. Um, 
and we enjoyed that and we played on that and it used to I know speaking to Mark later years used to frustrate the shit out of him that we were able to be competitive with them because they would often go back on a Sunday night or a Monday morning in their debrief and go well, how are these guys doing this how are they achieving it so um, so yeah look it was it was good competition now Bathurst it was a simple equation in a sense that Scapey had to finish in a certain position you had, if you won the race etc yep. and then the middle of the race it's gone chaotic yep. you know, has been knocked off he's dropped out of it you're yep. winning the race yep. you're in the championship winning position yep. but he's edged his way back into to take the championship off you the last yep. gasp um, Bathurst being the last round that year I mean, did missing the championship have any impact on how you felt about the Bathurst win or was this just Bathurst no. and nothing else no. in the world no I mean when you win Bathurst and you win Bathurst obviously the first time first time for GRM and still the only time and at 23 years old um, and I was only the at that stage I was the second youngest winner to Craig by only a matter of days um, all that matters is Bathurst simple as that I mean the championship looking back uh, it's frustrating that we didn't get the championship as well because it was my mistake I had a really really terrible Canberra weekend and it cost us more than enough points than we needed to win the championship. Uh, but you don't know that at the time. You only know that once we got to Bathurst and Bathurst played out the way it did with Mark's troubles that he had through the race. Um, and people say that, you know, we only won Bathurst because they had those dramas that year. But when all those dramas went down, who was the car right behind Mark? <laughs> it was me. It's funny. I remember standing with someone about halfway through the race, actually Steve Normoyle, who uh, yep. I used to work with when I was at Racing Car News. And, uh, and, and we said... These guys are going to win it, and so we, we picked in the middle of the race that you, know, wow. you guys had the speed, you had the consistency. You knew something more than we did at that stage. Yeah, well, sometimes, but sometimes when you're looking from the outside, you see things a little bit differently. And, yeah, you know, you think um, your scape's famous about his concept of championship. You know, I'm going to win the championship. Yeah. So it'll be a head-to-head battle, you and him. You could have stuck your nose down the inside, and there was a chance he was going to back off. No, him. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. Mark being as competitive as he is. And the narrative of that year with us being competitive with him, I reckon he would have fought it. But we never, we never got to find out. So no. it was irrelevant. So the, the Gary Rogers years after that were a bit of a bit of an up and down struggle. Yeah, they, um, it was tough. But you had a couple of cracking Bathursts in the Monaro, yeah, um, including a win. And um, yeah, you've been disappointed in a way that you weren't in the same Monaro as Brock when he won. I mean, that's um, no. such a folklore, folk legend thing, isn't it? No, or do you just feel like you're getting swept aside. No. We were very much of the opinion that it was um, in the yellow car, because it was the yellow car and the red car. In the yellow car, we were the originals. Mm-hmm. So we were there the first year. We did all the donkey work. We got, you know, we got the car. We, we, you know, we went through all the dramas of the development of the car in that first 24-hour race and, 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 you know, understood the car. So when they decided they were going to run a second car and Brock was going to be part of it and there was all the other... So um, Bridie, Murph... And Todd were in the other car, so I was like, oh, these are all the superstars now coming in, because they were at the time, you know. Um, so we were very much an us and them type setup. Um, so is it disappointing that we didn't win two in a row? Yeah, absolutely, 100%. And we, we feel like there was a bit going on in the background that enabled the red car to win the race over the yellow car. You were closing in, though, at the end. Yeah. Were you allowed to pass? Or? No. Oh, no, well, at the end, when Gary... I mean, there's a great YouTube clip of it, of the telecast, where seven minutes to go, Gary comes on the radio and says, um, you're free to race, race to the end. Uh, so, yeah, absolutely. At that stage, I was allowed to. But uh, prior to that, we were leading the race within the last hour. 
and they called me into the pits because they said that the diff was getting too hot and they needed to top the diff up with oil. But um, I, had, I didn't have any alarms on the dash. So that cost us a lot of time and they put the red car in the lead and all through the race he drive, we were driving the car to a lap time. We were driving the car to, we had to do two minutes 18 or two minutes 20, whatever it was, just a safe lap time to look after the car. So after this pit stop, I'm driving the car much faster than that because I'm going to catch the gap back up again. Um, so on the radio saying, slow down, slow down, manage the gap. I said, no, 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 because I want to win the race. Simple. No, you're going to wreck the car, you're going to wreck the car. I said, no, the car feels good, I'm pressing on. So in the end they said, no, no, well Murph's going to wait for you. So, okay. So then Murph waited for me and then we drove around in formation for 20 minutes. And then seven minutes they go, Gary goes, right, right, race on. But there was no opportunity to pass cleanly without risking two cars at the 23 minute and 55, 23 hours and 55 minute point of a 24 hour race. Fastest lap on the second lap. Second last, last lap. lap of the race. Both cars. Not bad, eh? Both cars. And it was hard. Those last couple of laps were tough because it's the end of a 24 hour race and all the, everyone else's cars, tired, had it, wrecked, they're all skull dragging them to the finish of the race. And, and there's two Monaros going crazy trying to beat each other to death for the last five laps of the race. So um, it was tough getting through all the traffic. Did that start to work on your relationship with GRM at that point? I mean, did you no, not at that point, I don't think so. so. So the next years started really shockingly in Adelaide for you. This is your last year with GRM. Yeah. At what point did you say it's time to move on? I'd been thinking about it for a little while. And I, look... Gary gave me my start in supercars, so I was immensely loyal to him because of that, and I felt a real degree of loyalty to him to repay that faith. And look, we'd had a great period, you know, through 99, into 2000, through the Monaro period. But the supercar program, you know, I think as a result of doing that Monaro stuff, uh, had started to falter and wasn't as competitive. So after about, you know, at the end of sort of six years I was sort of like yeah okay it's um I'm probably you know I've been here for six years I probably need to go and experience different environments as well as a as a athlete or as a driver you need to broaden your horizons a little bit um so I pretty much decided um with a year to go on my contract that that was going to be my last year and then I told actually told Gary in about April of that last year uh, no, he understood. He said, look, I'm, I'm disappointed you've made that decision. But he understood. And I thought it was the right thing to do to tell him early. And I, at that stage, I had nothing. I didn't have anything. I hadn't spoken to anyone. I just said, look, Gary, I think at the end of this contract period, I'm probably going to go and look somewhere else. At the end, end of that contract period was 2004. Um, so, um, so, yeah, I think it was about April or May that we had that chat. Well, we'll be back in a minute to talk about the next phase. So, Bathurst wins and a championship coming up. So we're back with Garth Tander on Motorsport's Living Book. Garth, the next phase is pretty exciting, isn't it? I mean, you've effectively joined the Holden factory team, even though it's a sort of a second string part, the HSV dealer team. Um, but they were taking it up to the big boys, weren't they? Yeah, they were. We were. Um, but you have to remember that the bones of that team was the Kmart racing team, which was, you know, very successful. Very, very successful. Um, so... Um, yeah, look, I got I got an email originally, so very early days of email. I got an email from John Crennan. Um, basically, he, he was very, very clever the way he did it. He just said, Garth, I understand your contract um, 
is coming to a close at the end of 2004, and then he listed my championship positions from 2000, 2001, 2002, 3 and 4. And it was on the decline. And then he showed me the championship positions of the Kmart racing team. He goes, you need to be part of this and we want you to be part of it. And, and it was pretty compelling when you got an email from John McCrennan laying it out like that. So, um, so yeah, we did a deal. Um, we did, I think we did the deal about seven, or even earlier, maybe July, August, around there, we did, did the deal. Was he easier to deal with than, uh, than Gary in terms of bargaining over money? Oh, look, I think at that stage I pretty much took whatever I was given. Because, Still? Um, okay. It was more than I was getting at Gary's. Um, and um, I still felt that I needed to prove myself in that team, in that environment. So I don't think it was right for me to go in and demand a high salary and, and all the perks. So it was, for me, it was always still, it wasn't never about money. Or, or, or perks in the contract. It was just about winning races. Simple, winning races. And I hadn't done that consistently for a while. So this was going to give me an opportunity to do that again. So, um, yeah, joining what was going to be Kmart Racing Team, but that, that dissolved in the period that I signed with the team to when we started in 05, to what became the HSV Dealer Team. Um, yeah, that was, um, it was a very, very good, very enjoyable period of my so you've joined up with Rick Kelly, yep. and you seem to have a pretty good relationship yep. with him. You're both tall, skinny kids. Yep. Um, so like everything was set around two fairly similarly, whereas when it was you and Bargs, I mean, there's a bit of a size difference around it all. Uh, yeah. Um, not that that makes any difference when you're in, the diff- in your own car. It's yep. only when you get to the Enduros. Yep. But, um, yeah, look, Rick and I have been friends for a long time, even back to when I was racing against Todd in Formula yep. Ford. Rick was this young kid, and he's not that much younger than me, but he was this kid on a push bike riding around the paddock, the Formula Ford paddock, just annoying everyone. Yeah, yeah. So um, he was good. He was, still is. <laughs> so um, so we, we, were, we were good mates, and we were good mates. He was in supercars by that stage, and we were good mates. Um, anyway, we sort of hung out away from the track, even when I was at GRM and he was at Kmart. So, so that was a great relationship. Um, and still to this day the best teammate relationship that I've had in supercars as far as um, pushing each other incredibly hard but genuinely happy when the other guy has a great result so um, so yeah that was that was a, that was definitely one of the um, positives of being in that team for sure. You seem to become a bit more serious at this stage I mean you're not as um, uh, I don't know how to explain this part of it, but you're not as happy or as, uh, as joking as you were you yeah. seem to be a bit more focused, perhaps. I mean, did you feel this internally? Did you, were you aware? I probably wasn't going? aware of it for a while. I wasn't aware of it. And I, this is probably where I made a mistake. We talked earlier about your own personality and your own persona and your own brand, if you like, within the paddock. And I was probably trying to be too much like someone else and not just be myself because I was becoming into that... Clayton, HRT, HSV environment and there was this no external pressure but this internal expectation that you've got to be more professional, be more polished, be a bit um, more guarded with what you say and and stuff like that so I probably, that's where I made a mistake I started not being who I was and I almost became a bit of a mini Mark if you like, a bit of a mini Scaife 
and I, and and that's and that's not a detriment to Mark. It was probably actually somewhat of a compliment. Like this guy's successful, he's at the top of his game, he's driving the factory Holden team. He's what I got to be. I've got to be like that. Yeah. And um, and I don't think that affected my performance on track. No. Um, well, clearly it did. But I wasn't I wasn't true to who I am. Yeah. And I think that sort of changed later in my career. Sort of that started to come back. Yeah. So you, you're pretty serious in your relationship with Leanne at this stage. I mean, you married. Oh yeah. Um, no, we were married in. We got married in 2004. So, yeah. so yeah, yeah. No, we um, we would. Yeah. She joined the Formula Four team in '98, and I think we started dating in '99 or through that '98 year sometime. I can't remember. It was a long it's time ago. Very for racing drivers to date other racing drivers. Well, she wasn't heterosexual. She wasn't allowed to date race car drivers. So. Oh. When we started dating... Keep it secret. Um, we had to keep it secret from the parents. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, has she pointed out to you any of these changes? That no. No, no, no. Was it subtle, do you think? I mean... Yeah, I think it was subtle. And, I, it, look, it was probably only when I was at the track. So that's why, okay. for her, it didn't... Same Garth and It didn't make any difference, you know. It was only when I was at, when I was at work, if you like. So... It's probably more like you guys, the journalists and, and, and people like that that noticed it, that had been around for a while and knew who I was. So, But it's interesting you talk about being guarded because that's that's how it came across to mm. us, was that all of a sudden, you know, this, this open guard who would talk about anything has suddenly... Yeah, but you, have to, you have to remember there was a lot going on around Clayton at it's that stage. Bigger team. Bigger team. There was a lot happening in the background that I knew a little bit of but not a lot of so I was very mindful of well you guys don't need to know any of that so I just just shut up shut and we all wanted to know yeah and of course you, and I know that you wanted to know so the best way to be was just to be much more play a much straighter bat on the track though I mean the figures have started to talk haven't they I mean uh, the first year was a bit of a settling year I think a bit yep. unstable as a yep. team well, I think um, the team lost its identity for a little bit with the came up thing changing going to HSV, me, Murph leaving, who's a big personality yep. and a big presence in the garage to me coming in. So I probably took, we, that first six months weren't as successful as we'd hoped, but um, but we sort of found our feet again. But 06 was a special year for the team, wasn't it? I mean, Rick's yep. championship win. Yep. Um, so outwardly, it looks like you played a nice hand in that in the final round by being a, a good teammate to Rick. Um, you know, interesting <laughs> times, I thought. Uh, oh, there was a lot of, always... Around that period, there was always a lot of that stuff going on, and I think I got in the last race. I got black flagged for perceiving to hold up Craig in one of the races, yeah. um, and I may have been driving a little bit John Bow esque, but um, but I actually had I, wrong though. No, but I had gen, and, they, and but they did say prior, and they'd say it every year prior to the last round of the championship. If it comes down to the last round of the championship, anyone external than the parties involved in the championship battle. If they involve themselves in the race, they'll be black flag. They'll get well, not black flag, drive through. Mm. So um, I was trying to play the um, play the defence subtle enough that they try not to black flag me. Actually, in that race, I genuinely had a fuel pressure problem that was slowing the car up, but they didn't believe me, and we had the data. And we took the data down to show them afterwards, but it doesn't really matter. I mean, you know, now you go talk to Craig. You say, oh, I'd do the same thing, of course. Absolutely. Of course you would. And he has. And he did the next year with Jamie. <laughs> exactly. So you can't complain. Can no, you? no, no, no. But the, the other interesting thing about 06 was um, swatching over to the red camp to yep. run Bathurst. Yep. Um, and this is, in all honesty, where the championship disappeared, isn't yes, it? Yes, I mean, 100%. The biggest Bathurst in history, probably. Um, yep. Uh, post Brock. Yep. Um, you guys sitting on pole. Yep. I mean, you, you couldn't have put a dollar on you to get it on no, the No, we're unbackable. Unbackable. Um, yet. 
it just turned to shit pretty quickly, didn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, within 100 metres. Um, yeah, look, so the reason we went in 06, we went, well, we split the drivers up, or Tom split the drivers up, was that, um, which we could do back then, was that both Rick and I, I think we were first or second in the championship, and I think I might have been leading. So the, 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 the organisation wanted to mitigate the risk, because back then this is pre the ruling where you had to split. Because we would have had you and Rick in the we same We would have been car. in the same car. So if, if, if that car had any dramas among, across either Sandown or Bathurst, then you, you take both your first and second championship out of the race. So they decided to split um, Rick and I up in the teams. Um, so there was various permutations of how that was going to play out until ultimately it played out that Todd moved to HSV and shared the car with Rick and I moved to HRT and shared the car with Mark and um, and both at Sandown and Bathurst, like Sandown we were leading the race easy and the car was so fast and we had a mechanical issue and then obviously Bathurst I'd never had a car that was relative to the opposition so fast like so fast, so I did the, the Friday morning co-driver session in that car and I was listed as the co-driver and I was 1.4 seconds faster than the next car in that session so it was like well man, we've got a fast car but it didn't get going and it didn't matter uh, I, I was actually standing in the pits when that happened uh, right near you mm. I think I was the first person to shove a uh, microphone under oh, well, yes, there you go I don't really um, remember once it happened I don't remember what happened I do because you look like a ghost yeah um, I've never seen you so disappointed yeah. ever um, well, it was strange. It was it was a bit manic in the garage because there was a lot going on. Because, like as you said, this was first race, well, first Bathurst, but first race since Peter Brock's passing, and we were factory holding car at Bathurst on pole position. Brock's spiritual car, if you like. It's, yeah. um, and uh, there was a, so there was a lot going on around a team, and there was a lot happening. So we had a lot of engagements, a lot of appearances, a lot of stuff to, to deal with, even in, on Sunday morning before the race. And, and Mark was obviously starting the race, so I did a bit more of that. So I didn't actually get back to the garage and get my radio on. Must have been doing TV or something on the way to the garage to watch the start of the race. And um, the race sort of had started by the time I got the radio on. And But as I pulled the radio on and turned it on, all I could hear was yelling, clutch, drama, crash. And I'm, I was so, like disoriented about what was happening and then you look up and see the big screen and, and then you just hear someone, one of the boys said, ah, she's all over. And that was it, turn the radio off and that must have been when you came and spoke to me. So yeah, it was, um, it was dis- oh, of course it's disappointing. I mean, one, Bathurst is over and but then you also quickly realise that championships in a lot of trouble and Rick went on to finish second in that race and score a bag load of points. So my year, at the dynamic of my year turned in that at about 10.30 on that Sunday morning. The next year, though, you, you actually put together the whole season and mm. uh, you walked away with the championship. Mm. And, uh, the feeling, I mean, you, know, you were close in 2000 yeah. and this is you know, seven years later and you've, and you've, you've done it. Uh, yeah, I mean, obviously it was, it was mass relief, mass relief. Um, still had shit Bathurst, DNF Bathurst. Um, but, um, but, yeah, obviously mass relief and, and great for the team. Because we won in 06 with Rick um, around a lot of controversy. 
There was a lot of controversy that year. One with the driver swap thing. There was talk of court injunctions and all this sort of stuff against the team before we did the driver change stuff. Then obviously the finale at Phillip Island and the drama that Rick and Craig had and and um, and just the, the drama around the team was massive. So to then the following year in 07, just effectively dominate the year. We won a record number of races in the championship. That was back when they were doing reverse grid races as well. And there was a couple of times where we started last and finished on the podium in the reverse grid race. And so a lot of really satisfying drives through the year. And then, I mean, even now, not even now I drive for him, but even back then, at the end of the race, there's an interview with Roland, and he said, "Oh, the best driver won the championship, even though it was only two points. Yeah. The best driver won the championship, so that's you know that's pretty satisfying." And it was a very different championship to Rick's win, wasn't it? Rick's was built on absolute consistency, yep. Yep. as was Ingalls the year before. Yep. Yep. You've come here, you have actually had yep. the pace, and, yep. uh, and it was you and Jamie yep. chasing all the way through. Yep. With Craig not too far behind. Yep. I mean, it was a it was a ding dong battle. Yeah, well, it was the four of us. It was um, Rick and I, and Craig and Jamie, pretty much the, the entire year. Going at it, um, and it came, yeah, came down to the last race, came down to the last lap of the, of the championship. Two points. You staved off the triple eight domination by a year. <laughs> well, that was, yeah, that was. Um, <laughs> took it over, yeah, didn't the Steamroller sort of took off after that, yeah. didn't it? Yeah. Um, switching to HRT, was it an easy thing to do? Yeah. I was for me because I basically it was done. Yeah, it, I, I, we, we had the awards gala on the Monday night after Phillip Island, and um, that Monday during the day, Tom was in Australia and, and he and Craig Wilson said, oh, look, we need to have a me- we want to have a meeting on Tuesday. So yeah, yeah, no problem. So um, got up Tuesday morning, massive hangover from the awards night. Um, Hard to believe. Got myself to, to Clayton and, um, and walked into a meeting and the contracts are out, ready to sign. And I had no idea prior to that. So um, so walked in and Tom ran me through, this is what's happening, this is why it's happening. Um you're driving HRT car with number one on the side of it next year. It's pretty compelling. Yep, let's do that. It's a bit hard to turn that one down, isn't it? Well, yeah, I mean... If you're holding one, I mean, ultimately, isn't it? Ultimately, when you look at it, at the HSV dealer team, we were Toro Rosso to the Red Bull team. Yeah. And it doesn't look good when Toro Rosso is beating Red Bull. So it was important from a Holden perspective and, and from a Holden motorsport perspective that the HRT cars were winning and... Tom felt that this was the best way for that to start happening. Uh, so, um, so we did. Matty Nilsson, my engineer from HSV, came with me. Rob Crawford came, was moved across to be team manager, and uh, and we moved into HRT, and away we went. So the first couple of HRT years were, were good and solid, mm. um, despite the stuff that's going on around the periphery. Yeah, tailed off a little bit after that, but yeah. you've got you know third and third, but um, you've got another Bathurst win in there. Yep, um, pretty impressive that one. Yeah, I mean, you know, I mean, I mean, I remember my very first Bathurst in 1998, I qualified 14th, and when they gave the 30-second signal, I, was, I actually still remember thinking to myself, shit, I'm normally at home sitting on the couch watching this with my old man. So to then fast forward and have three Bathurst victories, you just feel very, very incredibly fortunate to have raced there, let alone have tasted success. So... When people ask you, oh, what's your favourite Bathurst win? It's a bit like asking you, who's your favourite child? Do you have one? <laughs> what, favourite child or favourite <laughs> Bathurst <child>. win? <laughs> <laughs> we'll um, go for the tough one first. <laughs> um, so, so each of them you, you um, love for different reasons. Bathurst wins this is. I love my kids both equally. Um, so um, 
but I think if you really, really narrow it down, the 2011 win is probably the most satisfying. I mean, the first one is massively satisfying because it's the first. Second one, I think we deserved to win and we were expected to win. We were on pole position. We led the majority of the race. We were up the front in the championship, so we should have won that and we delivered that one. So that's satisfying in its own regard. Mm -hmm. But, yeah, the 2011 Bathurst win with Nick. Um, he's a rookie in the 1000. He'd done the development series race there before, but he was a rookie in the 1000. Um, the cars weren't fast during the championship year, so there wasn't this level of expectation to do it. And, and we started that project. It was AGP weekend we started that project. I went to Craig Wilson and said, oh, well, I want Nick in my car with me at Bathurst. And he said, oh, OK, why is that? And I said, oh, I think he's fast enough, good enough. And I said, if we start work now, by the time we get to Bathurst, the whole rookie thing... We've already worked our way through it. Doesn't matter because it's, it's, it's you know there is a lot of pressure on you as driving the factory Holden car at Bathurst. Yeah. So if we start work now and he's got his head around it now in March, then when we get there in October, um, you know it's just another race. So uh, so that was that was yeah a very long year of prepping and and we trained every day together. We we ran through a heap of scenarios before we went there uh, and then executed on the day was and then the finish obviously the battle with Craig. Um, yeah, look, it was very satisfying. Had your focus shifted from championships to Bathurst then because of the inconsistency of the cars? Or? Yeah, I think so. And you, you make that call through the year, don't you? Because you can... Well, you, yeah, out, once you realise the championship's going south, go, well, we're just... Not that you focus on Bathurst, but you can have a bad year and win Bathurst and it's still a good year. Yeah, but even, like, your results aren't that bad when you look at championships. I mean, you're in the top ten every year, you're at HRT, Yeah, generally ahead of which, which you don't really feel like. Like, from the outside, it felt like it turned into a bit of a disaster. Yeah, well, um, I mean... But the, the results were still OK. Well, yeah, OK, but... but they weren't HRT. OK is right? not good enough for HRT. Yeah. So all you do then as a driver is you, you, you try and execute the best you can as a driver, measure yourself against your teammate. And I think most of those years I was ahead of my teammate take advantage of the events that when the cars are fast and competitive you make sure you get runs on the board when you can. So in 16 it's been announced that HRT's losing, yeah, your team's losing the HRT banner. You've come out, you've won the Endurance Championship without winning a race, but it's time to go with that, I mean. Oh no, we won the Endurance Championship, we won Sandown. Did you? Yeah, 16 won Sandown. Okay. So I won Sandown on Sunday and on Tuesday I was told I was no longer required at HRT. Yeah, you can you can be close to winning Bathurst. You can be within a lap of winning Bathurst and not winning it, and you still don't win it. So we were in the right position with the right strategy and the right fuel to get the job done, but it didn't happen with Tendigo. Mm. Lots of hard words after that race. I mean, you, did, you obviously can't. Yeah, yeah, because you don't get those opportunities. Bathurst doesn't present you with those opportunities all that often. So when those opportunities are presented to you and they're taken away what, by what you perceive, and there's, there's three parties in that scenario in 16, and there'll be three different opinions. My opinion is that that was taken away from me for, by other parties. It's very frustrating. It's a bloody cruel race, isn't it? It's a cruel race, but that's, why it's, so that's, that's why it's so satisfying when you win it. Yeah, beautiful. We'll be back in a minute to close this one out. We're back with Garth Tander on Motorsports Living Book. Garth, you've left um, HRT back to GRM with Gary and, uh, you know, it, uh, a couple of years there and then that was a bit of an odd end too, I think. Mm. But, uh, how did you enjoy going back there? Yeah, look, um, I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it was um, 
it was challenging period when I first joined the team because there was a lot going on with the Volvo litigation, and I don't know the, the, the background or details of that. Um, so we, for a long time, even when I signed with him with Gary, which was late November, early December, um, there was still didn't know what car we were going to be using. There was a chance that it could still be the Volvo with the Volvo engine. Would have been nice. There was a chance that it could have been a Volvo body with a Holden engine, yep. or we could have been Commodore Commodore. So as it turned out, it was a Commodore VF Commodore with Walkinshaw engines, which was good because obviously I knew the engines and, and and knew the people around the engine program at Walkinshaw, so we knew that was going to be a good thing. Um, and it was just a matter of getting the VFs up to speed because the, the, the GRM had been a Volvo team for, what, three years. So, yeah, um, so yeah it was, um, but it was massively satisfying and, 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 uh, and, and really enjoyable. One of the real reasons, I mean, there was a lot of romance around, you know, going back to GRM and all that BS, but it, it ultimately ended the day they had fast cars with the Volvo and Richard Holway as an engineer, I was, um, that was probably more the attraction to go there and work with Krusty than it was just to go back to my old team. Gary's uh, no less different than he was back then. I mean, uh, no. <laughs> Probably dresses up less. <laughs> well, yeah, certainly less than the Volvo. Yes. Um, no, he's, I mean, Gary's Gary. He is who he is. Your relationship with him is good? Uh, uh, at the moment, it's probably not as strong as it's been. But, look, when I went, look, and I'm on record as saying this prior to um, beginning in 19, but... Um, it was like putting on an old pair of runners again, like back in their office, having a meeting with him, chatting with him. It's it's like those 13 years never passed. So, um, and look, oh, Gary and I remained not close, but we chatted regularly through that period that I was at, at HSV and HRT. We chatted regularly. He rang me in 2009 and asked me if I wanted to buy his race team. So we, we spent, we spoke quite a bit and... Um, so yeah, going back and driving for him, and and I guess in a different role the second time, more as a not as a leadership, more as a leadership figure, uh, not as a, not as a manager, but more as a leadership figure within the organisation, and having those runs on the board now, um, you know, he probably listened to what I had to say a bit more. Um, so yeah, I enjoyed it. I thoroughly enjoyed it. That's probably why it was pretty disappointing when it went south later. Yeah, just. Talk us through the breakdown of that a uh, little bit. I mean, it was very abrupt and sudden from the outside, and, mm. and I've spoken to you before, it was very abrupt and sudden from your side as well. Mm. But uh, to be completely blindsided like that must be um, a horrible feeling. Yeah, look, it, 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 was, it was a challenging week for sure. Um, uh, look, we were away on holidays. We went away on holidays, a family holiday to, uh, overseas at the end of 18. Um, so um, was away and then um, Gary rang me or texted me or rang me and while I was away and said oh when are you back I uh, just want to have a meeting and go through a couple of things and I was like yep cool no problems and thinking you know we'd run some development items on the car at Newcastle for the last round of the championship and the car was really fast um, so I sort of thought it was all around yeah, and that, that that development stuff required some some spend, a fair, you know, a significant spend on what we were going to do with the team. So I thought the meeting was around that sort of stuff, and you know, the direction we were going to go with the cars, and you know, how much money we were going to spend. 
So anyway, I was back, got back to Australia. Um, had the meeting. It was third of January. Had the meeting. Uh, it was eleven o'clock. Uh, went in, and Gary had just bought some old sort of Ford pickup truck sort of looking thing, and he had that parked out in front. And I walked in, and it was only Gary, Barry, and I at workshops. Third of January. All the boys were on holidays. So I walked in and talking shit about Gary's new toy and where he bought it from and all the rest of it and it's a normal meeting. And they see they said, Oh, well, we just wanna have a chat with you about something. So yeah, yeah, no worries. And they said, Oh great, because don't forget GRM had lost Wilson Security as a yeah. major sponsor. And we didn't have a sponsor before the end of the year. So we sat down and said, Oh great news is great news, we've got a sponsor. We've got a major sponsor. Oh fantastic, that's awesome. Well done, congratulations. This is good news. Yeah, bad news is it comes with a driver. I was like, ah, oh, okay. And look, I'm not going into the details of what happened prior to that, but there was a lot of chat about who was driving the other car was not going to be the who ended up being driving the other car. Um, and all the, all through that period when Wilson had left the team and, and, and indicated they weren't going to be naming not sponsor anymore, all the way through that period, I was told that, yeah, you're staying, you're driving, 100%, yep, you're staying. So reassured multiple times that I was staying. Um, but then they said, yeah, so, um, but we've got a new sponsor, it's Boost Mobile, um, they're bringing Stanaway in and they and we're keeping Golding, so you're, you're not driving. So um, I sort of sat there, you know, processing that for, I don't know, felt like minutes, hours, but it was probably 30 seconds or so. And, then we just started going. Then they were straight into, um, oh, you know, you can do. Obviously, you're going to do the enduros. We've got the TCR program that's coming. We've got the Super Five Thousand thing that's coming. We'd like you to to, to start, to be, you know, to come in to start managing thing parts of the organisation and stuff like that. And my head's clearly spinning at the moment. The realisation that my full time career has been ended. I didn't end it. It was ended by someone else. But it's too late to go out and hunt another. Oh yeah, no, there's no zero zero opportunity of going and doing another deal within a month. So they start throwing all these things at me about, oh, you know, it's not that bad. We're going to do this. We're going to do that. And I was just like, hang on, well, we've got to stop. I can't. I think it's probably best that I walk out because I don't think this meeting is going to go well. So I just excused myself from the meeting. It was 11:07, so I was in there for seven minutes. Uh, got out of the car. Got out in the car. Um, went down the road a bit, pulled over, rang Leanne straight away, told her what happened. She hit the roof. Rang my manager, James Henderson, told him what happened. Um, he hit the roof. Um, As he does. So I just calmed, calmed them both down and said, right, well, let's just think of our options. And, um, and then went home and, yeah, it was pretty numb for the rest of the day. Good outcome, though. Um, not yeah. bad to be at Red Bull Racing, Holden Racing. Yeah, look, I mean, one of the options Gary did give me in that time when he said, "Look, um, we can, you can do TCR, do the enduros, manage, or you can just walk away." Um, so I had all these options of what I, I was running through all these options, and, and clearly we were looking at contracts about what, whose obligation was where, and, and all the rest of it. And in the end. Um, I just felt that I couldn't work with 
people that were say one thing to you, one thing, one way, and then go and do something else. Massive break of trust, isn't it? Yeah, I, I, th- and that's what it felt. I felt like a betrayal of trust, and I felt that I, I couldn't walk into that office however many days a week, whatever deal we were going to do for me managing the team, and put my best energy and my best effort into that role after that had taken place. So um, I spoke with Leanne a lot about it and said, look, what do we do? And she says, well, I'm going to back you 100%. Whatever you want to do, I'll back you 100%. So, and look, there's financial stuff in the back of it that you've got to be mindful of. You've got to put food on the table. You've got young kids. You've got to be, you know... I've earned a bit of money along the year, but it's not along the journey, but it's not enough to sort of sit back and retire on. So, um, so you get mindful of all that, and then, and then ultimately, I was just like, nah, fuck it, I'm, I'm walking away. I've, I, I can't. And the big, the thing that was, I couldn't put all my energy and all my effort and all my motivation into that environment anymore. So, um, had a pretty. Hendo and I were chatting. He um, he reached out to um, to. Um, one of the shareholders at Triple Eight asked if there was an opportunity, what was an opportunity, because obviously Craig had been announced with Jamie, but there was no announcement on what was happening with Shane. Yep. So first phone call we made was to Triple Eight, and, um, and, um, and we reached out, connected with them, and within, within three hours we'd done a deal. It's nice to start at the top and get what you want, isn't it? <laughs> oh, you know... We didn't even. We didn't. There was no negotiation. There was no, no bullshit. It was literally, yep, we're doing it, and both parties. So, um, I remember. You know, you, you look at all the interviews when Scaife went to Triple Eight back in the Vodafone days to do the Enduros. There's an interview with Scaife, and he says it's the quickest deal he's ever done. And it's the same for me. Well, Roland's that kind of guy. If he, if he wants something. Yeah, I think both parties were pretty motivated to get the deal done. And I'd spoken to... The reason I ran, we went straight to Triple Eight is I'd spoken to Roland multiple year, times over the years, even right back to when I was at Walkinshaws. Yeah. And he said, one day I'll be having you in my car. Okay. And he's so... Um, True to his word. So when we rang, we said, well, do you it's want great. it? Let's make it happen. And, and we did. Yeah. It's, a, it's a great opportunity for you, isn't it? I mean, it's the... <clears throat> it's the strongest Bathurst lineup in history, I reckon. Four, ca- yeah, four drivers in those two. Yeah, cars. I think across the four cars. Yeah. Yeah, I don't. I can't remember. Either. I can remember two car. Yeah, one car with two guns. Yeah, you know, yeah. But I can't remember two cars like that. So, you know, Roland's no doubt got a one-two in plans, and uh, yeah, you look, want to be number one. Look, hey, I'll point you back to that 2006 race where you go there with Mark and I on pole, unbackable favourites, yeah. and it all goes sideways. So. You can have everything lined up, but it doesn't mean you're going to. You're automatically getting getting the chocolates at the end of the day. Yeah. So, uh, still got to go there and execute the race. Yeah. But we um, we've got great team, good cars, great good drivers, with good results up there. Um, so yeah, look, it's a fantastic yeah. opportunity. One of the hardest things in this situation that is probably sitting there and telling the kids who've uh, uh, got the expectation that Dad's doing this and you've got to say, yeah, yeah, Dad's doing something different. No, they're probably still a bit too young yeah. um, to, to understand it. It was a couple of rounds into the championship when my daughter, Scarlett, asked, well, Dad, why aren't you actually there racing? So that was actually challenging how to communicate yeah. that with her. Um, but my young fella, Sebastian... 
is over the moon because Shane Van Gisbergen's his favourite driver. Okay. So, mate, the fact that I've got the Red Bull gear on, he thinks it's awesome. He's <laughs> simple creatures at times, aren't they? Oh, well, he's only six, so um, even when I was racing full-time, Shane was his favourite driver, so um, hard, to, hard to please. But the, the only beauty of this, though, is it's, it's opened up a bit of diversity for your driving now. I mean, mm. you must be enjoying that part, TCR, GTs. GT to GT. Yeah. You know, it's, um, it must be nice to just get back to some pure enjoyment of the driving. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I'd started doing a little bit of that in the last three or four years with a GT car. Um, but you don't, supercars are so all consuming and, and, and um, so dedica- it requires you to dedicate so much of your time to it that you don't get the chance to go and do this other stuff. So, so um, yeah, look. Um, once the dust had settled, Neil Crompton rang me straight away and said, oh, what do you reckon about racing in 86 at Phillip Island against your wife? I said, oh, yeah, that'd be cool. Um, so, um, and look, I think a lot of supercar drivers, first year out, would probably think it's a bit below them to go and do that. But I thought it was fantastic. I couldn't wait. I didn't give a shit whether I won or I finished 25th. It was a different car. I'd never raced a production-based car like that before. I'd never raced in a one-make series like that before. Leanne and I, while we'd raced against each other, not in the same level of competitive car. Yeah. So, so I was like, yeah, shit, yeah, I'll go and do that. And then, obviously, I'd already had the GT stuff lined up to do the, the 12-hour and the Australian Endurance Championship. Um, but then the TCR stuff came along as well. Um, and look, they wanted me to do the full championship, but I can't because of my television commitments with Channel 10 and RPM. Um, but the GT weekends where there was TCR on the same bill, I could race both cars. So, um, so it's the first, that's, this year's been the first time ever I've circuit racing. I've raced two cars on the same weekend, which is um, challenging, but enjoyable. You seem a lot more relaxed today. And it's unusual I mean, to, to get an hour with you in the past bloody hard. Yep. This time around, it's like, yep, we can do it. I mean, it's kind of back to being the more relaxed, casual guard that we, that we all began to really like. Yeah, and look, I think I, I was really mindful of that when I left Walkinshaws in 16. I think even probably the last 18 months that I was at Walkinshaws, I was pretty mindful of that. But it, once I left Walkinshaws, and I think that comes down to the, you know, talked about earlier, the, the expectation yeah. and the external and internal pressure to deliver results at the factory team um, is um, sort of keeps you, you know, flat batted, straight batted, keeps you on your guard and... I was sort of pretty, like I think you probably, you can trace it back to pretty much the announcement when I wasn't going to be at Walkershaws anymore, like the pressure went away and, and, and I was just like, fuck it, I'm going back to who I was. And but it's interesting, isn't it? like, if you're not in the pressure cooker, you don't understand the heat. And yeah. You see like, comments at the moment about, you know, um, Scotty McLaughlin and yep. the person on change there, but like, he's in the pressure cooker. Yep. And, and it has to have an impact on you, otherwise you, you, you're going to die. Yeah, and look, I think, I think... Um, it's something that if I had my career over again, it's something that I would pay more attention to and try not to let myself fall into that that persona. Because um, the best way, I think, if you're acting or trying to be someone else, you get found out, you get caught, you're just better off being who you are. Um, Reynolds does it well, um, even though I think a lot of it's put on. Um, it's, a show, it's a show, yeah, it's a show, but that's who he is, so that's cool. 
Craig was very good at it. I mean, Craig, the Craig you see on TV, the Craig you see in press conferences, um, the Craig you see in the paddock is the same Craig that you see behind closed doors. So he was very good at it. And, and if I had my time over again, I probably would just be Garth and not be try to be something that I'm not. Obviously, the highlights of the Bathurst wins the championship. Is there something a bit out there that we, we don't really know about that you view as a highlight in your career? Uh, there's a couple. Um, one is uh, results-based for me as the uh, pole position and clean sweep in Perth in 2007. Um, I'd never won a national-level race at my home track in Perth okay. prior to that point. So to win the first one was obviously big, massively satisfying, but to then go and clean sweep the entire weekend, I think we fastest in all practice sessions as well. Okay. That was um, really satisfying and, and, and obviously really special given that I'd grown up at that joint. Um, but the other stuff is um, um, achievements that when Leanne was driving the car. So when we, when we were doing Formula 3 in our own team, um, I was engineering the car, Leanne was driving the car, we had a small full-time staff and we, and we were um, doing it all ourselves and we came very, very close to winning the Formula 3 Championship. And that's not like F3 like it is today with one or two cars. Back then there was 20 cars and pretty good teams. And, um, yeah, like, that was pretty satisfying as a, as a person because I, was, I wasn't doing what my primary job is, which is driving the car. I was doing what I sort of self-taught myself, and that was engineering the car. So, um, and, you know, sending setups back to the UK and them trying what we were doing down here and going, oh, shit, that stuff works. So that's, that's satisfying. You mentoring any young guys at the moment or young girls even? Um, not at the moment, no. So um, helping young kids where we can. I mean, here we are. We're at Tail and Bend this weekend. Um, and everyone sort of said, oh, what are you doing hanging around? The co-driver session was Friday. Wouldn't you be on a plane Friday night flying home? But I'm actually here with Brenton Grove helping him with his Porsche. He's doing a one-off Porsche this weekend. So just driver coaching and helping more so to look at the race weekend, not as not as use the results sheet and the timesheet as, as the indicator of your success. It's about your performance. So, But that's probably all this year. Um, done a lot of that over the journey yeah yeah so um, but no doubt it'll come back anyway this year this year didn't work yeah I mean I wasn't expecting to be doing anything I ended up currently doing this year so um, so this year I'm actually having mindfully having a bit of a quiet year to be honest a lot of people say oh what are you up to at the moment nothing and enjoying it so I do RPM pretty much every Sunday Um, and I'm doing a few other bits and pieces away from the track Um, I'm we're I'm back involved with fast lane racing in the Formula 4 driving school back in Perth and we're going to do a bit of stuff later in the year with that. Just cherry picking stuff that I enjoy and, and going and doing stuff that I enjoy and um, that I haven't had the chance to do properly over the last 15 years. So It's kind um, of nice in your mid-40s to get back to your job. Yeah, to do that. It? I won't be able to do that forever. I'll have to go and get a job, proper, proper job again. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, yeah, we'll, I'll go back to doing we're back to, next year we'll be back to running our own Formula Ford team and and you know helping young talent that way and, and um, I enjoy it so um, yeah cool. not at the moment not mentoring at the moment yeah. well thanks for your time Garth on uh, Motorsports Living Book uh, maybe in October we can talk about you as another Bathurst winner again and uh, the way the season's panning out I mean the team's coming on strong so let's see where you end up let's hope so cheers a lot thanks.